To hear Paul on Earth by Lisa Gordon in its entirety, listen through to the end of the episode where we include it, or look for the separate audio file on this podcast page. Hello and welcome to the Painted Bright Quarterly Slush Pile. So glad that you're listening in today. We're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to do a story, which we haven't done in a long time. So um, we'll talk more about that later. I want to get this we introduced so you can hear all of our voices. So I'm Kathleen Volkmiller and um, again, excited to be with everybody today to do a show. And uh, I'm going to bounce it to Marion Wren because I always do, even though it's a shorter bounce because she's <laughs> in a Tiny little bounce down to North Carolina. Well received. Hi, everybody. This is Marion. I'm in uh, the lovely town of Kannapolis reading poetry and uh, celebrating the Painted Bride Quarterly and its 50th year of publication. I'm going to bounce Dagny. Hi there. Um, I'm in Montreal today, which isn't my normal base, but uh, so hi from Montreal. Um, and I'm going to bounce it over to Samantha. Hi everyone, I'm Samantha and I'm here in Baltimore and I'm going to send it up north to Jason. And I am, this is Jason and I'm <laughs> in New York City and um, it's really, it's it's a lovely day and 50 years, how is that possible? We're like, but <laughs> well, we weren't with it the we whole time. We get pension. Yeah, <laughs> not if we're in France. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> Another 14 years. And, yeah, I will and the podcast, it. Jason, the podcast turned five on Monday. Yeah, it really? It yeah. really did. We realized it during a tech meeting about it. We were like, what? Yeah, five years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And, and real quick, at a podcast event last night, and when I was telling people that's how long we were doing it, they were just stunned. <laughs> you know, they, they, I was. it was the old oldest podcast in the room right which was funny because so many people you know it's just been a snowball right with how many people and so many people did it during the pandemic and everything they were like five years so yeah. I, I, I now I want to know the um the average life of a podcast and I'm like how long do well like, the really like good back... ones like ours you know this yeah. American Life Radio Lab we're, we're we're in it to win it we'll be we'll you know Right. All right. Right. Well, let's let's plan another five. Let's let's toast to that. There it is. Well, you know what? I love oh, yeah. it because we actually do have a toast to make to one of our podcast team, the dear right. Talia. That's yeah. what I was just gonna say. We have a bigger tech team than normal because Talia is taking leave of us. And um, Anthony has come in, as has Sebastian. So we have a whole, we have a trio of tech people with us today, which is wonderful. <laughs> so fabulous. Cheers. Yeah, Talia, thank you for everything. You thank were wonderful you, to work with. Thank you. Talia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, don't be a stranger. Just of be not. a stranger. Of course not. <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs> but of course, I will not be a stranger. But thank you guys for letting me come and join and and I'm glad to have joined the softball team. Yay. I'm, I'm really happy to have gotten to know you in this manner. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is Sebastian and Anthony, I don't know if you want to just say, hey. You want to say, hey? 
Yes. Hi. Uh, I do apologize. I was a minute late to the meeting. Um, I am. So I'm also very grateful to be here. I'm very grateful to hear the, you know, stories that are coming up and the different, you know, poetry and incredible writings and works of all like a variety of different artists. Um, Jason, I'm actually originally from New York, so I'm excited to hear, you know, your story as well. Um, and ultimately I'm just, you know, grateful to be here and happy to help any way I can. Welcome. 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 Uh, Anthony, you're going to say who you are? What you're sure, yeah. Hello, my name is Anthony. Oh, God, that was a way bad way to start things. But I'm pretty much going to be redundant in what Sebastian said, saying that I'm thankful to get started here. And I'm so happy and so interested in learning whatever stories, poems that we have in the future. So very oh, excited to work with all of you. I'm glad. I'm glad. I can feel your energy through the Zoom. Um, so you guys are here for uh, a, an unusual episode because today we are going to discuss a short story rather than a poem. So this story will be on our podcast page if you want to read ahead, because um, we're going to read a little bit of it to you, but there'll be an audio file of the complete story um, added on to this by the time you're listening. So if you fast forward, you'll be able to listen to it, or you can go to the website and read it. And uh, we would like to warn you that we probably will drop a few spoiler alerts. So you might want to experience it one way or the other before you listen to the rest of this episode. Okay? So I think that I have not introduced uh, that the author is Lisa Gordon. Thank you, Lisa Gordon, for allowing us to do this. And the story is called Paul on Earth. So who wants to read the page and a half that we're going to out there's a little teaser um can i read it of course and it's funny this little chipmunk voice that just jumped out of me can I read it? <laughs> you're that insecure about asking it's cute oh my goodness lisa gordon thank you so much for for sharing the story with us and allowing me to read um the first little movement and i say little movement because it's a seven page story but the first movement is about a page and a half and so that's what we'll look at right paul on earth Paul had a hard time concentrating on the wedding. Maybeth had tears in her eyes, but then again, she cried at everything. The rabbi was saying words about how important trust is when it comes to love. Maybeth took his hands. She had nice, soft, small hands. Paul always liked that about her. She could do a lot with those hands, not least of which much early in the morning, even though they weren't supposed to see each other until the wedding, Maybeth had wanted it that way. He knocked on the door of her hotel room. Tap, 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 so she would know it was him. He needed her, he said. He needed her to touch him. And she did, and he'd felt better, but only for a moment. He still couldn't get Krista out of his mind. He still looked her up, often, all the time, you might say. It had been years since 1986, but still, she was a household name. Krista McAuliffe. The whole thing had affected everyone, especially school children. It was one of Ronald Reagan's most celebrated speeches, and he'd been a former movie star. Not that most people remember that. Now, there's a show about it on Netflix. He still hadn't watched it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. She was still alive inside him like a constellation, burning layers through his skin. And now he was getting married again, to another very, very nice lady. She knew everything and she forgave him. He was getting a chance to start over. Paul, Maybeth, 
Do you take one another? The rabbi said. I do, Maybeth said, squeezing his hands. Yes, Paul said. I mean, I do, yes. Little lines crinkled adoringly around Maybeth's eyes. Her eyes were the color of limestone. Then it is my honor to announce you as husband and wife to one another. The guests roared as ceremoniously as a small crowd can, gathering to their feet, a wave of low thundering applause ebbed and flowed as they kissed. Paul knew next to none of them, but luckily Maybeth had many friends. She was liked by many people, unlike Paul. It was one of the things Paul told her when they first met, I won't bring much to your life. I've tried to change, but she interrupted him. That's for me to decide. Maybeth's lips were slick with lipstick and he worried for a moment he'd look like a clown, but he could feel her smiling through her mouth, through her kissing, and she kissed him with abandon and he let her, he loved her, he really wanted to love her. Very well read. Thank you. There, now, now what? Now what? So it's it's difficult to do these like podcasts around fiction. I think in the past, what we've talked about is doing some sort of spoiler alert, sketch of the plot, right? Or sketch of the a sort of narrative that unfolds from beginning, middle to end so that we can have a discussion about it and maybe dip back into pieces that we we want to read. Although I, I will say the story kind of starts at the end. It sure does. So, I don't know if if that's a spoiler alert. <laughs> is like the past a spoiler? Is finding right? out um, well, what already happened? Isn't that a classic narrative structure, right? Of like, you know, a, a story opens in this sort of event, then it pauses, gives you the backstory, returns to that moment, then moves it forward slightly. Um, and you you get that, I think you get that gesture here too, in it in a in the seven pages that she's working with. So yeah, good point, Jason. <laughs> if it worked for it. Frankenstein and Titanic, right? <laughs> it has to be a good structure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I mean, the thing. Let's go ahead. No, nope, go ahead. You I think I was going to start with is how wonderfully I think that that last section revises. Um, he loved her. He really wanted to love her. Um, oh, yeah. A couple of times we get this gesture that undoes <laughs> what we've been told the emotional state is, and it's devastating. And it has that sort of inevitability, but also surprise. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to talk about. How even in that first stanza, there is something about the writing itself that that keeps you reading. There's no huge dramatic tension, right? There's not a bear at the door. What you certainly do want to read because of the descriptive imagery, what we're getting of Paul's interiority. And then those that last sentence is everything. Oh, now here's my tension. Right. He really wanted to love her. So, you know, I think I think our listeners are definitely going to stop the tape right now <laughs> and go read it. And go also, ahead. I'm sorry, Krista McAuliffe, right? Like confessing the Krista McAuliffe love affair right there is is devastating and fascinating. Like I that as a reader, I was I was in. So like to your point, Kathy, there's not a bear at the door. Right. But the the weirdness of that confession and the fact yeah. that that's from a third person point of view, right? Like, like when I thought back to the story, I was convinced it was first person. And then when I looked uh, again, it's not, right? Uh, right, right, right. Because yeah. it's so focused on it, Paul. It, yeah. Exactly. It feels like it's in his voice, yeah. even though it's told using the third person. And that's that's something I really loved about it because it made me feel so much closer 
to the experience of his story. And that whole confession piece, I mean, I love that because he has to confess at several different points throughout mm-hmm. this story. Um, you know, you, you, you get him confessing in the, um, uh, the, the meeting, the, the Addicts Anonymous meeting where he meets Maybeth and th- there's a whisper that goes around the room. You know, I think so, someone's like Challenger, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Reminding each other who that name is. Yeah. Yeah. What's he talking about? But yeah, as soon as her name popped up middle of the first page for me, I was all in. I was in high school when that happened and it was just like, no way. I just <laughs> Yeah, I, I really love the story. Um, I didn't recognize the name, so I wasn't sure who it was for a mm-hmm. while. Um, but, um, you know, you know, from the beginning, even if you're not sure of the name, who that it's a celebrity of some type. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. And then once I saw that word challenger, I was like, oh, OK, like that, that like came together for me. Um, but what I really liked about it was the delicate line it kind of dances on between being you know very comical and just being very heartbreaking in a way because um I love that we go back to a 15 year old love and how you sort of drag that around with you your whole life and in in some ways it could be too you know very comical and most satirical but it's actually not because I think this is a this is a piece of realism in a way um and so I really like that about it. Sam I'm so glad you mentioned that because it that strikes me as like the one of the tricky things in the in the piece, mm-hmm. like if it's a third person description of someone confessing an obsession and an obsession with Krista McAuliffe, right? And I think with an, a a less gentle hand, right, than um, Lisa Gordon's, this this could easily be like punching down or mocking someone's obsessions, and I never mm-hmm. get that sense of mm-hmm. mockery or dismissal, like so. Right. It's, um, it's done with such, it's, it's, it, like you said, it's both, it's got, the comic is built into it, but it's also heartbreaking, but it doesn't become like prurient. I can never say that word, by the way, prurient. <laughs> I think you said it. You got it. I would, the weirdest moment for me where I thought it was weird, and I'd love to talk to you guys about it. And here's the, our first spoiler alert listeners. Um, when he gets arrested, and he uses his obsession with uh, Krista to get out of the arrest. That was fascinating to me. And he, because he was like, no, my weird isn't touching kids. My weird is being obsessed with Krista McCullough, right? Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and, and like you just said, this weird humor, is this even dark humor? Like it is, it's funny. Like that's a crazy thing to say. And that's what the cops say to him, right? Well, you're a little bonkers, but yep, you're not, you're not a molester. You're not dangerous. Yeah. And she does sort of ping pong, I think, between the very natural and the, and the, and the slightly out there, as as you say, Kathy. I mean, I, I love, I I love the very quick review of his first marriage, Mm -hmm. um, which which kind of gets us into his driving around uh, Chris's old neighborhood. So so he's coming up with an excuse and it just says he told Sandy he'd started a chess club for his students He'd never played chess in his life, but she believed him. And right in there is all that baked in, you know, reality of a doomed relationship. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that she just was prepared to believe that. I, I, I just I just thought that was a great zinger. Yeah. And I so sorry, Kath, 
I want to go back yep. to you on the personal side for a moment. One of the things that Kathy does is run these magnificent workshops for memoir. Um, uh, and we just were talking the other day about asking people as they're thinking about writing memoir. And I know this is not a memoir, like which part of your life would be the montage, right? Like if you had to write a scene and, and create a montage, right? Um, and I, I was thinking a lot about that, Kathy, in relation to the, the part that Dagny just references, right? Like mm -hmm. there are ways in which this, the piece is like sort of doing this classic, like zooming in on particular moments and then zooming back out, speeding up, right? Doing a sort of like montage edit of like the whole marriage, right? And yeah. then zooming back into these particular scenes. And it's done with such like ease. It propels me as a reader through the story. Like I'm, I'm turning pages. Um, yeah. If I was teaching this, I would talk about what a risk that is to cover as much time as she covered. Like, I'm too lazy to have counted the years, but a lot of years gets covered in this. And um, in seven pages and 2,200 words, but we never feel lost. We never feel throttled about, you know, like it, it she handles it. Well, it also, it covers a period of time when knowledge was farther and so I mean I I have very very strong memories of the challenger not because I was watching it when it happened my school did not um but then talking to all of my friends about it who had been watching it and you know people teachers bursting into tears and leaving the classroom oh, wow. and, you know people being devastated and then hearing on the news about how I had reacted hearing on the news about like school children being devastated across the United States I mean like I, I am not having the experience that is being described back to me. And the way in which the narrator has this connection to her that is real and is powerful and then becomes an obsession, but before the internet let us all do that, right? But before right. like that just became a normal way of interacting with any news story or any cultural production or any historical event, um, I thought was really, Amazing. And I, I didn't sort of think of it until like I was sort of on the, the second or third beat. Like when I saw Krista McAuliffe, I was like, oh God, you know, like this again. Um, but <laughs> I, I was really pulled in. It really held up from like all these different sort of generational entry points. Yeah. Yeah. I was mm -hmm. thinking about that uh, as well about the uh, how it feels to be, you know, in love with a celebrity then and now. And in the first part that we've read, we actually don't realize that she's his teacher until, you know, after the first mention. So at first I was thinking, oh, this is like, you know, the original kind of parasocial relationship. And then when you realize that he actually knew her at first, it's interesting and surprising, but then I almost forget that he actually knew her. And it's almost like these relationships from our past are all like parasocial relationships ultimately anyway. And so that's, that's kind of where I landed with it. Oh, I love that. That is like some deep philosophy, man. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right? it's it's true. Like that sense of nostalgia and the sense of like, you know, love and connection to people who are no longer in your lives. Like that is that does feel parasocial, and it's amplified through the digital technologies that we play with. Certainly, Definitely. right. But that you know, spoiler alert, slushies. That's one of the things that we find out in the middle of the piece. Is is it's not just this like sort of celebrity attachment, right? That Paul has, but Paul was actually a student of, of Krista McAuliffe's and had a deep connection to her 
in in that context. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do we need to explain for younger slushies that Krista McAuliffe was the first teacher to be sent up on a space shuttle? And it was this really huge event that they were sending a teacher into space and she had lessons and she'd been selected from all of these different applicants. And as it was going up, it exploded. She, she was the first non-astronaut to go to space. Yeah, ever. she was the first yeah. lay person. She just yeah. had but, a little bit of but, training, yeah. But yeah, Jason, exactly, because she was a teacher, literally, the whole world was watching. And, you know, it was such yeah. a relata relatable position. She had all these teaching modules she was going to do. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it blew up within 30 seconds of, uh, of, yeah. of launching. It was just crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. My parents and brother and sister were in Cocoa Beach. They watched oh, wow. it blow up. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh my wow yeah. yeah yeah um but that's so, yeah that's a good reminder yeah as I, maybe yeah. we should tell people yeah yeah who are, who are we talking about yeah you know what well, actually, actually what? maybe yeah that's for the that's for the liner notes too right yes right. absolutely right. yeah yeah can we can we talk about the language a little bit more i mentioned that earlier that like even before we know what's going on the language is just so great and i think one of the things i would like to applaud lisa gordon on are her last sentences of almost every paragraph yeah. every last sentence is just a jewel yeah i i just I'm very, very impressed with those. And for me, again, in teaching, like I always tell people that you've got to give you give your reader, or it's great to give your reader that jewel at the end of each graph to take you to the next and the next and the next. And they're just really um, powerful little punches, you know, and had felt better, but only for a moment. He still couldn't get Krista out of his mind. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He was getting a chance to start over, right? I just read the first several. They're always yeah. um, really integral to the story for it yeah. in the movement. And yeah. the language of some of them is just, you know, uh, heart-wrenching. Yeah. You did a great job with that. There's always a little turn at the end of the paragraph. And if you think about the paragraph as kind of a unit of thought, yeah. um, mm -hmm. the way the unit of thought sort of has this trajectory from optimism to pessimism, it's just beautiful the way every everything you know the, the convincing of oneself that everything is going well is just undermined a right. tiny mm -hmm. bit at right. the end of every paragraph yeah and a little bit you know that humor even comes into uh it was the early 80s after all right is one of those last lines and it just um i think they do everything they do so much work right, right? And I, I have to say, Kath, I think that's working in combination with the choice to use third person, like that hovering third, as opposed to a first person narrative, right? Like if this, if I come away feeling like I'm, we've said this before, like feeling like I'm in Paul's mind, but it's not this appropriative dramatic monologue, right? It's not right. the author speaking in the eye, right? The author has like arranged herself, right? The, the 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 voice of the narrative has arranged herself sort of like over his shoulder close enough right to be sort of thinking alongside of the character and i and i i want to just linger on that like the risks of and rewards of that right like what does mm -hmm. that person afford that the first person may or might might not have i wonder what you thought about that well i typically think of that with the third person are 
protagonists can lie to us better, right? And so I feel like that that's my one question because with a first person narrator, if if they lie to you, it's not only that they're unreliable, but you you face like getting annoyed with them or not believing anything they say. But so with this third person, I think that there's just more room kind of, it's more capacious in a way. We don't really know how truthful things are, like when he's calling the house, like those kind of things. Um, I also think it allows the story's pacing to be at, you know, to be like a good fit for a short story. Because I feel like a lot of these things, like we could spend a lot of time in interiority about, and instead we get to yeah. kind of bypass that. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think you couldn't somehow, it would feel, it wouldn't totally, it wouldn't work to make this much time go by. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's the one part where she even, and, and the title, I love that title, Paul on Earth. But at another moment, you know, that was all for a long, long time. Years passed, years upon years. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if a uh, first person voice could do that, right? Could do that. Right. Right. And I, I think a third person close or a third person interested where you have the one point of view character from whom you enter the story lets you trust all of the facts. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to, you know, you trust all of the data and then you just get these glimpses into the feelings behind them and the sort of motivation behind them. Um, the only place where I did want, I, I sort of wanted the story to open up a little bit more when his life goes off the rails. Because I was fascinated by, mm -hmm. and now, now I am in the spoilers. Um, I love the section where his obsession just takes the form of driving. And mm -hmm. it gets him into trouble, but the trouble evaporates. Mm -hmm. But then that leads to real trouble. And there is this kind of rock bottom that we don't get to. We just have like a few sentences that let us know that he go he he does go off the rails and then does need rescue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. gets his rescue from Maybeth. Yeah. Who is such an interestingly drawn character. Um, you know, she she basically, you know, she's at this addicts anonymous meeting and says, you know, but addictions don't bother me, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, so actually, I'm into you, um, and, and I, she's so we get we get so little of her in the story, but uh, but she feels quite large in a way, um, mm -hmm. just because of how deftly drawn she is. And I, just, I had to okay. I'm sorry. I just kind of think I love the word fact in this too, right? And belief, and 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 how Maybeth sits there too. It's like that third person point of view really um, is a is it complicates this feel that that the feeling of confession that's coming across in the story. Like it feels like a confession, right? But it's it's just this sort of like brilliant gesture of like a kind of confession with this imaginative point of view, right? This is this is imagined created Paul, right? And it the and the historical context of this moment. So it's mashing up fact and fiction in the most fascinating manner i'm i'm just i'm i'm I'm, draw, I'm just drawn to that sorry jason i cut you off what were you saying darling oh no i wanted to know i, I kept preventing myself from googling addicts anonymous because <laughs> uh, i wanted to know if that's a real like i thought all the anonymouses were based on the thing you're addicted to 
Uh, and I was like, wait, is addicts like, cause when he reveals that his addiction is Kristen McAuliffe, it's like this beautiful, amazing ah. moment. And I sort of don't want to know. I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to find out where yeah. that membrane I, I, of reality and fiction opens up. Because as you said, that, that membrane between yeah. the historical and the fictional, at first I thought that it was a story in the perspective of Kristen McAuliffe's husband. And I was like, oh my God, no, right. <laughs> no, uh, don't do that. And then when I found out that it wasn't, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, right? and, then, and I just, it was, um, I thought it did, I thought the story does an amazing job of kind of picking up this historical thread and weaving it into someone's life who's fictional. And Jason, yeah. I think those sounds should be part of the podcast every time, right? Like, oh no, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I well, did- Well, um, record them and just pop them <laughs> in. <when we> need. <laughs> One thing I did think I wanted a little bit more of was I wanted to know how his addiction functions like in his normal relationships more often. Like, is it something that, and and tell me if I miss this, like something that like people know about him and he like laughs about it. Like when he talks about wanting to be a teacher or, you know, um, or like, is it something that um, is part of like the daily routine of his life in the way that like, you know, someone might have an addiction to like something that everyone knows about and it's kind of a joke or is it something that he keeps like very secret and safe and that's what I feel like I I, I don't exactly know I don't think we know but I think we can point to the textual evidence that they jack his relationships is he has so many right yeah. he can't fully love whoever he's with because Chris is in the way right Right. My, yeah. My my sense is that it's hidden in this paragraph. I feel like I, I feel like it does that perfectly about the secrecy of his life. Right. The yes, he'd been around the neighborhood often on and off for years. No, he had no business there. Knew no one, not a soul who lived there. No, he had no alibi. He had indeed been driving around that very night. He'd been lying to his life, his wife for so long. He'd begun mm. to believe there was a chess club. The only way out was the truth. Right. Right. To me, that says this guy's never told this to right. anyone. You're right. And that would also agree with it being a bigger deal when he tells the police and when he goes to the addicts anonymous that he's revealing. Mm -hmm. You know. He's forced to. He has he, the, the the only way out is the truth. He has to own this obsession, yeah, and be and be open about it. Which is why I love the multiple confessions in the story, well, and 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 they are great comic moments. Mm -hmm. With you know, with the way people react, the teacher astronaut lady, say the detectives, the one who got blown up. You know, it's yeah. just so yeah, <laughs> it's so odd because it's so odd but so plausible this doesn't seem not possible right absolutely i could see somebody because uh, people do fall in love with their teachers especially their english teachers as we all know <laughs> <laughs> and, and red-haired ones red -haired yeah. one, right? more to the point AVM. <laughs> so yeah like if it did not feel uh you know out of the stretch of plausibility at all, even though it's just so odd. Agreed. And, and in terms of like rising through the slush pile too, like this is one of the, like it, the story just leapt out 
and it and it left out because it's so different than than quite a few that murder mayhem death destruction right like it's all there often right but the 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 death and destruction is not quite in the margin but the it is um the 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 source or the the it compounds the obsession that this speaker has right so it's necessary context but it's not the thing that punches you in the face right as a, a reader of the piece um yeah so if you're thinking of sending a short fiction just you know bear in mind right that <laughs> well i say wake us up right we're certainly yeah. have you know this this right? this wakes you up yep never seen nothing like this before nope but it, but it flirts with that that sense of familiarity like jason said like at first you're like oh Right. And even that opening scene, it's like, you know, conventional I do moment. Seen that before. But then right. where it goes, you're like, wait, what, what, who? Say, it, come again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the thing about this story, too, is that there are these moments that almost feel like they're glimpses into other genres. Yeah. The whole bit with him driving around the neighborhood in his brown Pontiac and being um, so suspicious, the fact that it gets him pulled right. in, gets him collared, feels like. It, it it feels right out of noir or a serial killer, uh, you know, street thing you might stream. Um, but you're just in that for that little bit and then it moves on because that's not what it's about. Well, friends, what do you think? Do we want to read a little final chunk of the, the piece or do we want to move to vote? Please don't read the very, very end. We've okay. got to All make right. them go to the site. Or All right, to the story and that's again. a decision. All right, we will not yeah. do that. We won't do that to you, Lisa Gordon. We won't do that to you, but we will vote. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Okay. And good, we're five today voting. So one, two, three, vote. And it's in. Unanimous. Surprise there. Thank you Paul so Hunter. much, Lisa Gordon. Jason, now I'm dying to know. Do you want to know if there really is Addicts Anonymous for all addicts? Sure. Are you are you about to Google? I did. Oh, what, yeah, what is I the answer? I actually did. Yeah. Is it real? There is. There <laughs> is. All addicts for all addictions. Wow. Okay. And I mean, even though, like, that's fascinating, right? Because, like, we know there are people that eat chalk. There are people that, you know, and I, I know the percentage maybe of the population isn't that large. So maybe there has mm -hmm. to be some yeah. catch-all, catch-all yeah. meeting and catch-all groups. Yeah. We'll put the link in the notes in case anybody <laughs> okay. Yeah, put in those warnings. Right. Like if anyone you know like is addicted to right. something that yeah. we don't know <laughs> secret. Well, yeah, I think we probably we all have a something that we're OCD about, right? We probably Absolutely. all have something we're addicted to. And yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, we appreciate it, Lisa Gordon. Thank you for letting us read a story. It's been a while. That was great. Yeah. Um, does anybody have anything else they'd like to add? Well, all right, slushies, keep reading and let us know how we're doing. And thank you, everybody. Paul on Earth by Lisa Gordon. Paul had a hard time concentrating on the wedding. Maybeth had tears in her eyes, but then again, she cried at everything. The rabbi was saying words about how important trust is when it comes to love. Maybeth took his hands. 
She had nice, soft, small hands. Paul always liked that about her. She could do a lot with those hands, not least of which much earlier in the morning, even though they weren't supposed to see each other until the wedding. Maybeth had wanted it that way. He knocked on the door of her hotel room. Tap, 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 so she would know it was him. He needed her, he said. He needed her to touch him, and she did, and he felt better, but only for a moment. He still couldn't get Krista out of his mind. He still looked her up, often, all the time, you might say. It had been years since 1986, but still, she was a household name. Krista McAuliffe. The whole thing had affected everyone, especially school children. It was one of Ronald Reagan's most celebrated speeches, and he'd been a former movie star. Not that most people remember that. Now there's a show about it on Netflix. He still hadn't watched it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. She was still alive inside him like a constellation, burning layers through his skin. And now he was getting married again to another very, very nice lady. She knew everything and she forgave him. He was getting a chance to start over. Paul, Maybeth, do you take one another? The rabbi said. I do, Maybeth said, squeezing his hands. Yes, Paul said. I mean, I do. Yes. Little lines crinkled adoringly around Maybeth's eyes. Her eyes were the color of limestone. Then it is my honor to announce you as husband and wife to one another. The guests roared as ceremoniously as a small crowd can, gathering to their feet. A wave of low, thundering applause ebbed and flowed as they kissed. Paul knew next to none of them, but luckily Maybeth had many friends. She was liked by many people, unlike Paul. It was one of the things Paul told her when they first met. I won't bring much to your life. I've tried to change, but... She had interrupted him. That's for me to decide. Maybeth's lips were slick with lipstick, and he worried for a moment he'd look like a clown. But he could feel her smiling through her mouth, through her kissing, and she kissed him with abandon. And he let her. He loved her. He really wanted to love her. Paul was 15 when Krista McAuliffe was his teacher, and he fell for her like a rocket burning through the universe. It was a cheap analogy. He knew that. It was cliche, obvious, but it was how he felt. She was just so pretty. Just so, so pretty. All the schoolboys seemed to like the girls with big hips and big hair and pink mouths, always open. It was the early 80s, after all. But not Paul. It was Mrs. McAuliffe with her brown eyes, wide as planets, her tall teeth, her curly hair. She was, well, she was a lot of things, but mostly she was the mother figure he'd needed at the same time his sexuality was burgeoning. So she represented the classic Oedipal complex, except a little 
inverted for Paul. At least, that's what he was told in therapy later in life. It seemed true enough. He accepted it, but he couldn't change his behavior. His behavior didn't take hold until after the explosion. She wasn't even his teacher then. She'd moved on to another school, and Paul was floundering without her presence to steady him, to give him something to look forward to. But it was after that when his obsession really bloomed. He was devastated for her two children. Of her husband, he was fiercely jealous, jealous that he got to be the husband even after she died, jealous that he could mourn, really mourn. He called their house often back then. He's not proud of it, but he did it. He got to know the sounds of all their voices, the little girls, the young boys, the husbands. Lots of people were calling then, obviously. It wasn't too invasive, but they did change their phone number later. Unlisted, of course. Paul was saddened, deeply. Back then, then being before the internet, there was only so much he could do. Newspapers stopped reporting. He kept copies of some of the ones he could find, the issue of People magazine with her face on it and the like. He kept them in a notebook. He went to college. He went to class. He tried to connect his obsession with the idea that maybe he was obsessed with space. Yes, that had to be it. He majored in astronomy, but he just couldn't take it. It was too mathematical, too science-oriented. Krista had been his English teacher. It was escapism he preferred. He graduated with a degree in literature and asked Sandy to marry him. It was what you were supposed to do. She expected it, but she was happy, very happy. He lived in a little apartment in Boston for a few years while she finished her master's degree at BU. He took a teaching job at a small town called Concord, west of Boston, in what else? English. It was not lost on him that Concord, albeit New Hampshire, was where Krista was from, and he'd learned that she'd lived for some time in Framingham, Massachusetts. It was not far from Concord, not far at all. He spent his days driving around strange neighborhoods, aimlessly wandering, or in the parking lot of the high school she'd attended, which was still there. He told Sandy he'd started a chess club for his students. He'd never played chess in his life, but she believed him. That was all for a long, long time. He was happy enough. He enjoyed teaching, though he feared he wasn't very good at it. When he closed his eyes, he could still see Krista's back, the way her arm would raise to the chalkboard, how her writing made a pleasant sound, tap, 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 tap. He developed some decent cooking skills, and Sandy baked, and they ate well. They made love occasionally, and then frequently, because Sandy wanted badly to have children. Paul was thankful that they were inexperienced lovers. They'd only really had each other and didn't know that he didn't touch her the way a man does when he loves a woman, when he's in love with her. 
But after a year or so, the test results came back with bad news. She wouldn't be able to bear children. And she stopped turning to him in bed. And Paul found that he was pleased. It allowed space in his mind for the obsession to grow and grow. Grow it did. It was like a whole other place in his mind he could turn to, retreat into. He could go into different parts of Krista's body and inhabit them, and they were in love in a way that didn't exist on earth. It was unique to them and them only, and it was everything. It was his world. Years passed, years upon years, until finally one day he was arrested. A little girl in the town of Framingham, Massachusetts, had been abducted. She'd been missing for three days and discovered later in the conservation land lining the town's perimeter, murdered, sexually abused. Such an awful, tragic thing. Paul had been seen too often in her neighborhood and others nearby, idling around in his brown Pontiac, a stranger. His likeness matched the description of the abductor, Tall, glasses, a nondescript male. He was taken to the station and questioned for hours. He was bewildered, truly and simply bewildered. He wouldn't have known where to begin, is what he said. Where to begin with what, the detective had said. Oh, with stealing a child, Paul had whispered. With touching a child? He clasped and unclasped his hands. Yes, he'd been around the neighborhood, often, on and off, for years. No, he had no business there, knew no one, not a soul who lived there. No, he had no alibi. He had indeed been driving around that very night. He'd been lying to his wife for so long, he'd begun to believe there was a chess club. The only way out was the truth. McAuliffe, they'd said. The teacher astronaut lady? The one who got blown up? The detective, a lawyer, repeated it as if they hadn't heard him right. Couldn't have possibly heard him right. Yes, Paul said, that's the one. He told them about the file he kept in the magazine in the downstairs bathroom. They sent a squad to get it, and his wife followed behind, hysterical. The questioning was relentless. He was shoved in a cell for 14 hours. Eventually, they found the right man. He'd committed a similar crime in western Massachusetts, in the Berkshires. They opened the door to his cell, and he was free to go. But they recommended he get therapy. We think you're a little nutso, one of the policemen said on his way out. Behind him, echoes of laughter. He started his car. It sputtered and died. It was a freezing gray day in November. Sandy would not pick him up. He tried to hitch, but no one would stop for a man who looked like the man who abducted children. Eventually, he called a cab. It cost him $143 to get home, and not having that kind of money on him, the cabbie had to drive him to a bank. He watched the cabbie eyeing him in the rearview mirror as he peeled away. Sandy left, which didn't surprise Paul in the slightest. 
What did surprise Paul was how little he cared. Somehow, they didn't fire him. He thought they would have, but they didn't. You didn't commit the crime, Paul, the principal said disapprovingly, as if he'd wanted him to have been the criminal. His time was his own, finally. He couldn't drive around the way he used to, which left a void in his life. He wasn't sure how he'd fill. But it turned out it wasn't as hard as he thought. He grocery shopped and cooked elaborate meals, gaining weight, filling out in places he didn't think could grow. He masturbated on the couch as he pleased. He read different books and grew excited by new lesson plans. He even became energized by teaching in new ways. His life, it seemed, was changing. Krista was there. She would always be there. But he needed her less and less. But then, as if out of nowhere, the internet became faster and stronger and more ubiquitous. And suddenly, the world was at his fingertips. Anything he wanted could be his. Information of any kind. And, well, life took on new meaning. He bought a printer. He printed everything. He posted the photos, the articles, up around his house. A shrine. He was scared of himself. His teaching suffered. He stopped eating. He was fired. He'd hit rock bottom. And then one day, it really was like that, just one day, he saw an advertisement for Addicts Anonymous. Whatever you're addicted to, we can help, is what it said. Paul went. He didn't know what his life had become, and he didn't want to give up. Not yet. He was 40 years old. His father had died long ago. Sandy had moved to Virginia, adopted a daughter, gotten a dog. He drove to the meeting, concentrating on the way the cold winter air felt in his lungs. And at the meeting, he met May Beth. She was addicted to painkillers. She was a tiny, cute thing, sprightly, energetic. But I have a dark side, she said when she spoke to the room. She'd been watching Paul carefully. He could feel it even when he turned away. After the session, she approached him. I'm looking for a new boyfriend, she said. Addictions don't bother me. Even mine, Paul had said. Even yours, she had said. He'd addressed the room, all 27 of them. He'd counted. And he'd said, hi, I'm Paul, and I don't know why, or maybe I do, but, and sorry if this freaks anyone out, I'm addicted to Krista McAuliffe. There'd been chatter, a couple of laughs. Some of them looked at him quizzically. He heard someone whisper to someone else, challenger, and he'd felt very much like crying. It was the first time he'd felt like crying in, well, maybe ever, since he could remember, and it felt like being opened, like a present. When he told that to Maybeth, she cried. I'm your present, she'd said, and you're mine. She smiled into his neck and curled up in his lap like a little dog. Paul held her. Never had his arms been so full. He closed his eyes and tunneled through space, 
slowly at first, just exploring until he was rocketing through her again, ready to find what he was looking for. Mm-hmm.